Good morning. Hey, thank you all for being here today as we continue in our series, Relationship Goals. You know, that's a hashtag. You know what's never a relationship goal? To have, uh, decide, we're going to have an argument this week about money because gas costs too much. But I bet somebody this week had an argument with somebody because gas costs too much, right? Why did you go there? You didn't need to drive all the way over there, right? But nobody sets that out as a relationship goal, right? We're not planning for that. So a lot of times those hashtags that we see, like there's just a, a little glimpse into things we want people to see. <clears throat> but there's wisdom for healthy relationships in scripture. So we're in the wisdom literature of the Bible. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter three today, if you want to go ahead and find that. But last week we kicked off the series with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book you don't want to just go pull the scripture out of without understanding the whole book, right? Like it's just one of those, it's in particular, it's probably one of the hardest books to do that with because like it has verses like eat, drink, and be merry. And like, if you go pull that out, you're literally saying go in sin, right? And that's not what it's actually, it, it ends. You have to understand how it ends when it says that everything's been considered now fear God and keep his commandments, right? And in light of that, enjoy the things he's blessed you with. But of Ecclesiastes chapter four, Last week, we learned this, that two are better than one, right? And most of the time, we agree with that. Like most of the time, like uh, we agree with two are better than one. But sometimes, some of us, when it comes to things like work, we think one is better than two, right? Because I will get it done better than I can get it done if you're helping me, right? Like parents, have you ever had any help while you were working on something? You know what I'm talking about? When your kids start wanting to help and they're not helping, but you're trying to make them feel like they're useful humans at the same time, right? Like, like, can you just hold the flashlight somewhere in this area? Like, I remember my dad is like, you can't even hold a light, right? And, uh, but anyway, so, so, but two are better than one. And here's why they get a better return for their work. Um, because, um, they watch out for each other. If one falls, the other one can help them up because they can provide warmth for one another to stay warm better than one. All right, and the last one is because if the adversary comes, two are harder to overcome, that they, they fight the war better together. And what we learned last week was a couple of principles. The first one from Ecclesiastes was this, is that everything in life is capable of, of vanity or of value. It can be amount to nothing in your life or it can be very valuable in your life. Every relationship that you have can be a vanity or it can be a value. And the difference is wisdom. It's wisdom. When we learned that wise people discover, develop, and defend healthy relationships. They, they discover people that they share some common ground with. They develop that and then they defend it. But that verse in Ecclesiastes chapter four ends with, with this, that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So I brought like just this little rope with me today. It's not, it's not a real big rope, but it's strong. And the reason why it's strong is because it's made up of a lot of smaller strands that are braided together. And those brought together make it stronger. You could take one, one thing that's this thick, that's just one not braided together, and it's not this strong. And the cord of three strands is not easily broken. You have to understand, kind of in the ancient world, as they began to have ropes, they would just, they started off just twisting two together, right? But then as they, as they learned more and more, they began to braid three together. And once they braided three together, it was so much stronger. And the best kind of relationship are those that are Christ-centered, that God is in the midst of. If you want a great marriage, have a Christ-centered marriage. 
If you want to uh, be great in parenting, be a Christ-centered parent. If you want to have healthy and beautiful friendships, have Christ-centered friendships. But we who live lives that are Christ-centered can also have great relationships and healthy relationships with those who are not Christ-centered. Because we believe in the wisdom and truth of the Lord and having these relationships. So we're going to continue to dive into wisdom literature and, and learn together how to have these beautiful relationships. We, we talked about this last week too, that people who love Jesus love people. We should set the standard for the world about a, what it looks like to have great relationships. People should look at believers and go, man, those people must love Jesus. Look how they love each other. They ought to look at our marriages. They ought to look at our friendships. They ought to look how you treat others at work, how you conduct yourself at school, how you treat others around you, how you speak about your friends when they're not around, right? And they ought to say, that person must love Jesus because they, they, they really love people well. That's why it says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's what we're learning about is how to go about doing that. So today, we're gonna go into a different wisdom literature in scripture known as the Proverbs. So what is Proverbs? Proverbs is kind of a, a love letter in a way from King Solomon to his son. Actually, in Proverbs 1, 8, 9, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland to your head and pendants for your neck. And over and over again, you're going to hear, hey, son, listen to this. Hey, son, listen to this. Because Solomon, who had been, the Lord had said to Solomon, you can have anything, like ask for anything for your kingdom, and he asked for wisdom. The problem with Solomon was he had more wisdom than he used, right? He didn't live it. Like, he had it. He wrote books of it. But he kind of wrote these later in life, looking back at his life, knowing he had not lived very wisely. Like, he wasn't leaving a healthy family behind. I mean, you think your family's dysfunctional. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was not a wise man when it came to how he lived it out. But later on in life, he discovered what it was like to have a real love with a woman, and he wrote a book about it called Song of Solomon. But it was after he had chased after everything else and lost so much along the way. And so Proverbs is him writing this to his son, saying, here's how you ought to live your life. Here is wisdom, understanding what wisdom is. And so today, as we talk about Proverbs, what Proverbs is, is it's a collection of wise sayings. A proverb is a generally true statement. Not an always true statement, a generally true statement. The, it, proverbs are not promises, except for the places where it talks about the very character and nature of God, because what scripture tells us about God is always true of God, All right? But like, and, and I don't mean this to be discouraging, but like there's a proverb out there that says, uh, raise a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. That is a generally true statement. If you are to raise your, way, your children in the ways of the Lord, when they are old, they will not turn from it. But it is not a promise that every child of every believer will be a believer. 
Does that make sense? Like it's, it's a proverb. And there's a difference between a proverb and a promise. And if we're not careful, sometimes we want to take the proverbs and we want to turn them into promises because that means we're going to be rich. If you take certain proverbs out of context and you apply them the way you want to apply them, you make yourself rich even though you're not rich because proverbs such and such says such, right? And so we have to learn how to understand proverbs. The other thing is that proverbs are, are one of the places where um, sometimes it's literally just one saying after another saying after another saying after another saying. And so they don't necessarily go together. Like typically when you're interpreting scripture, you never just want to pull one out because you'll misuse it. But sometimes in Proverbs, if you try to interpret this proverb by the one before it and by the one after it, they're not going to make any sense together. They're just a list of wise sayings. All right, everybody with me? That's what Proverbs are. So as we dive into understanding it, sometimes what Proverbs is, it's wisdom about wisdom itself. It's just teaching us what wisdom is. Wisdom is often personified in Proverbs. Like uh, wisdom is spoken of as if she is a woman. Um, and, and in Greek, uh, the word that is used there is, uh, for wisdom when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek is the word Sophia. And one of the most interesting things that um, one of my seminary professors made us do was we had to write a paper about who Sophia was. And we had to study through all the Proverbs that, taught, that were wise sayings about who wisdom is, Sophia is, and we had to write a case study of who is Sophia. And that's how we studied what wisdom is. And it was an interesting way to learn about wisdom. So today, I want us to dive into this wisdom because it teaches us so much about relationship. But here's what wisdom is. is wisdom is, is, is the correct use of knowledge. It's applying knowledge correctly. It's the ability to make a correct decision where there is not a direct command. You ever found yourself there in life? Like you're having to make a decision and you can't go to like this reference that clearly tells you I need to do this or I can't do this or I must do this or I have to do this. Um, I would put it this way. Wisdom is the ability to paint outside of the lines and still make art. That's what wisdom is as a follower of Christ. Some of you can do that. Some of you like as an artist, like you don't need lines. Some of us can't make art out of a coloring book. Right, like, I can't do it. Like, it's going to look terrible anyway, right? It's still going to be awful when I get done with it, right? But wisdom is this ability to get outside of the lines and still be true and faithful to the Lord. So today, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, and these are found in couplets. It's two statements together, and, and they are by themselves independent statements, but all of these are connected. So Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. It doesn't just say, keep my commandments in your head. It doesn't say, just learn them. It says, live them. Have them in your heart. Know the truth. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This has to be true in us if it's going to be true of us. And there's this promise that's here that you'll have, a long, you'll have long days. Why is this promise given here in this proverb? It's, a, it's actually a common proverb. Um, it's in Proverbs 4.10 where it says, Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. It's repeated over and over again. It's because it goes back to the promises of God in Deuteronomy as he was giving the law. And he said this in Deuteronomy 5.33, You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land that you will possess. 
But it wasn't just that they were to learn the law, they were to live it. It had to be true in their heart. He says this in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. So here, now Solomon is teaching the wisdom of what it looks like to live this life that is lived out in these commands that were given. And he says, if you really want to live it out, you got to write it on your heart. You have to have these commands in your heart. Like, do, you, do you actually want to do what God wants you to do? Do you love the truths of God? You know, as we talked recently about meditating on his word as part of it, that we would love the truths of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've had to follow a lot of rules in my life that I didn't write on my heart. I didn't love them. And sometimes I didn't follow them. Like, not every rule that my mom and dad had for our household was I like, oh, I'm going to write that on my heart. I agree with that. That's good. Some of it I didn't like. I didn't realize the value of a curfew till now I'm glad to make myself go to sleep. You know, it's like, why would anybody, like I, as soon as I was old enough not to have a curfew, I would literally just go out and stay out because I could stay out and be like, I'm just so sleepy. Why am I not at home? Right, but I didn't love the rule. We're told to, to love the ways of the Lord. Verses three and four goes on and says this, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I want you to consider that. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Consider the tablet of the commands that was given um, to Moses on the mountain. Now we are to write these on the tablet of our heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That you will have favor and success both in the sight of God and of man. There's two people we know this is said of in Scripture. It is said of Samuel, the prophet Samuel, that he grew in favor with God and man. And it is said of the Lord Jesus Christ that he grew in favor with God and man. If you want to be the type of person who grows in favor and, excess and success both in the sight of God and in the sight of of others, then you should be a person that, that does what? That does not allow steadfast love nor faithfulness to forsake you, to slip away from you, but to hold on to these two tightly. Why are these two so important? Because this is said of God over and over and over again in Scripture. I'm going to pull up my, my, my phone here for a second. I want you to hear some verses about the steadfast love of God in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all the nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 86.15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. These two words here, this steadfast love and faithfulness of God really are a description of the very divine nature of God. But this is not saying here that this is to be true of God or this is true of God. This is saying here that this is to be true of us. 
that we should be known by steadfast love and faithfulness. The two words are hesed and mit. These two words, and that is not how they are said in Hebrew, because Hebrews is, is a lot harsher sounding, but if I say hesed like I ought to in Hebrew, I'd probably like hock something up, so I'm not gonna do it, all right? But it's, it's this, and that these things should be true of us, that, that the world should see the hesed, the steadfast love of God, and the met of God, the faithfulness of God, because they see hesed and met in us. They see steadfast love in us. They see faithfulness in us because we're being made more and more into his image every day. I want you to understand this beauty of this steadfast love. You know, Greek gives us three words to, to kind of learn what love is. The first one is eros, which is just kind of the, the love of the physical or natural things. It's not always the intimate things, but uh, just that you love things. Like we might would use love that way when we say, man, I really love pizza right? Because I do love me some pizza, right? I, especially if I'm really hungry, I can eat a lot of pizza. After I ran a half marathon yesterday, I ate um, way too much of a large pizza by myself with some breadsticks, right? Because I, I love that, right? But it's just a reactionary kind of thing. You're just reacting to what you see, to what is good. Uh, the other is phileo, which is like brotherly love, which is a, a responsive type of love. It's between two people and we respond to each other and we have this good common ground, this love for one another, but it's responsive. And when that common ground's not shared often, that love is not shared. But then the third one is this agape, which is a real love. It is an, it is an unconditional love. It is hesed. It is steadfast love. And here's how I want you to understand what steadfast love is. It, it, it is this. It is love that is true because of the character of the person who loves, not because of the conduct of the one who is loved. It is a love that is true because of the very character of the person who loves. Not true. It's not true because of the conduct of the one who is loved. I love because of who I am, not because of who you are. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We love God, why? Because he first loved us. While we were still enemies of God and objects of his wrath, he gave his son for us. This faithfulness, it literally means his firmness, his stability, that we should be firm, we should be stable, we should be able to be counted on. Like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, we, we, it brings me to this thought that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want you to understand, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, it is because he started the relationship with you. He came and looked for you when you were not looking for him. He came to seek and to save what was lost. He came and found you. You didn't find him. He found you. He began the good work. And he's going to carry that work. He's the one that's causing that work to be true today. You're not causing the work of the Lord in your life to be true today. The Lord is causing the work of the Lord to be true in your life today. But you know what? He's also the one that's going to finish that work. He's not counting on you to get him to the finish line. He's already finished this race. The price has been paid in full for your salvation by his grace, the cross. See, any, what we need to understand is any favor that we gain with God and man is because of the favor that's already been given to us by God, because of his grace towards us. It goes on in five through eight and says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your, your heart, what's that word? Some of you didn't, all of you didn't want to say that. 
How much of your heart? Oh, very good. He said it with all enthusiasm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him. How many of your ways? All. all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. If you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to have a healthy life, the Lord is the one who calls it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Today, I want us to learn some things as we go through this hashtag relationship goals, right? There's all kind of um, ridiculous things online that we would not uh, do. So maybe some trust things we ought to learn. Um, maybe if you work with somebody like this, you ought to learn to not trust people. <laughs> this, surely this was just to make an illustration, right? Like nobody's this dumb, right? Um, uh, here's, here's a second one. Don't worry, I got you. And I don't like to get up on the ladder when it's on regular ground and somebody's holding it, right? Like, I don't know about that. Th those two guys are not very intelligent, right? Now, out of that, what we ought to learn is this. Um, trust me, never trust a man that says, trust me. Like, if, if somebody's getting you to do something, they go, hey, just trust me. Don't. Like, don't do it, right? Like, they're trying to get you to do something foolish, right? That's why they're saying, trust them in that moment. Young people, that's, that's good advice. That's how you go to the emergency room more often than you should, all right? Now, but a lot of times there's these religious memes out there. Most of them are, are kind of goofy, but I, I found this one funny this week um, about this verse. It's me trying to lean on my own understanding right there. Like that's what happens when we don't trust in the Lord, but we lean on our own understanding. Man, we can just make a mess of life quickly. So I want you to understand something about your understanding, all right? In and of yourself. Your understanding will never be a full understanding. You're not that wise. You're never gonna see it all. You're never gonna know it all. You're never gonna understand it all. And you need to understand that about your own understanding. No matter how good you think you see something, you haven't seen it all. No matter how much you think you understand everything, you don't understand everything. And so once we come to that, we, we are able to really trust in the Lord. But how do we do that? Write it on our heart. The battleground for wise living is the heart. It's the heart. Here's why. We know more good than we do. Sin is to know right and not do it. And everybody in this room has sometime in the last 24 hours known the right thing and not done it. In the last 48 hours. It's not that you didn't know. You just didn't do what you knew to do. Even when we do know, we still fall short of doing the things that God has called us to do. So the, the, weapon, uh, the weapons of the heart, however, are developed in the mind. We learn the truth in our head, but we have to fight the battle in our heart. And so there's two keys here to living in true wisdom. Stop trying to be successful and start seeking to be steadfast. So the problem in your relationships is you're just running after success and you're not seeking steadfastness. If you want to have true success, be a person who's steadfast. Stop trying to just get to the end. 
Stop trying to just manipulate what you desire to happen and be steadfast in what needs to happen. If you, if you really want to live this out, stop trying to cause favor and be found faithful. If we're not careful, we live our lives trying to cause favor with people, manipulate things. I'll do this because you'll do that instead of just being found faithful. If you want to have a healthy marriage, be faithful in what's good and right in your marriage. Don't just try to win favor for the day. If you want to be successful in your job, don't try to just manipulate success and make this one project win. Be steadfast in who you are as a worker and as a servant and as a leader. But man, our problem is we want a quick answer, so we'd rather manipulate some success than be steadfast. We'd rather finagle some favor from somebody instead of being found faithful day in and day out. Why? Because the results are quicker, but they last not nearly as long. If you really want to live a wise life, you have steadfast before success, faithful before favor. We're going to trust in the Lord. There is a before reality to faith. If we're going to trust the Lord, there's this before reality. There's this reality. I'm going to trust God even when I don't know everything I'm trusting him with. Like when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, what you say is, Jesus, my life is yours. It is no longer mine. You're in charge. But you know what? You don't know what you just put him in charge of because you don't know what's coming next. Are you going to be found faithful? Are you going to be found faithful with more and further? Because that's what it means to trust in the Lord. There's this before reality that we're going to trust in the Lord. See, trusting God is, is making the decision to obey God before you are making a decision to obey God. See, in life, every day we have to make some decisions about obeying God. You know what you need to do before you're facing those decisions? You need to have already decided that you're going to obey God. It is the decision that makes the decisions. I'm going to be obedient. So when I have a broken relationship and there's an offense, maybe I've offended them or they've offended me. You know what scripture tells me to do? That I'm going to go to them, that I might be reconciled with them. And I have already decided that that's how I'm going to live out my relationships before I'm in a situation where I need to now go do that in a relationship. Because I've already decided that I trust the Lord and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Because if I lean on my own understanding, I'm going to go, oh, I'm just going to work my way around that. I'll compliment them out of their offense. I'll just be so nice that they'll forget that I was really mean. Instead of just doing what Scripture says. But trusting the Lord means I have already made the decision that I am going to obey God before I find myself in the moment making a decision about obeying God. I've already decided. And I'm going to honor him. I'm going to, I'm going to trust him. That is what it means to trust the Lord and not lean in your own understanding. Because acknowledging God means obeying God. When we acknowledge him, we have to acknowledge him for who he is. And he is Lord. And therefore we obey him. And all means all. It's everything. 
One of the things I, I want to make sure why I'm uh, approaching relationships this way, like I could do a marriage series and I could do those kind of things, but here's the thing I'm going to tell you. These types of principles are not going to be true in any of your relationships until they become true in all of your relationships. This has to become true of who we are. Like, you can't go home and have a beautiful Christ-centered marriage and mistreat everybody else in the world. That's never going to work. But some people are trying. Like, even Christians said, I'm just going to make the decision, that's just, just the decision that's good for me and my family. Find that scripture. Where the only person that matters in your decision, you're related to by blood. That's not in there. Like, we have to let it become true of us. And therefore, it'll be true in my marriage. It'll be true in my parenting. But it'll also be true when I'm at work. It'll be true when you're at school. It'll be true of you when you're on a team. It'll be true. It's going to be true of you. All is all. Man, if we want to have healthy relationships, we got to become healthy in our relationships. We have to let God change us. Go about doing things differently. So these words, steadfast love and, and faithfulness, it brings me to this through our hashtag for this week, is just considerate care. That somebody that's of steadfast love is firm in who they are and they consider the other person. They love them, sometimes in spite of them. That we are called to consider others more highly than ourselves. But this faithfulness is that I'm gonna show care, that, that my consideration is not just some emotion, but it is care that becomes an action, that I'm gonna show that, that I have that steadfast love and faithfulness towards you. I'm actually gonna do something with it. Steadfast love and faithfulness. See, healthy does not just happen. If you wanna have the kind of relationships that bring healing, that bring health, that as it says in Verse 8 will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bone because you've turned away from evil. It's because you're going to trust the Lord and you're going to consider others and care for them. So real quickly, out of Proverbs chapter 3, further down, verses 27 through 35, there's some practical applications for us of some principles that we ought to live out in our life because of this steadfast love and faithfulness that is true of us in Christ. Verse 27 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. The first principle that you need to understand about this is give the good you have to give. When God has given you the good to give, give it. It's not just material things, but it does include material things. Don't say to somebody that you can help right now, hey, if you come back tomorrow, I'll help you. That's what scripture's saying. If you're gonna help them, help them. Don't hold on to that compliment. Speak it. That encouragement. That exhortation. Give it. The good that God has given you, give it. That gift that God gave you. We've talked about gifts in the fall. That gift that God's given you, the thing that you're good at, that is meant for everybody else's good, give it. Don't wait till later. Oh, I'm going to start serving when I get done. I don't know what was, but anyway, whenever you get all that done, you know what? You're never going to get it done. Give the good you have to give. That's what God's calling us to do. Why? Because steadfast love and faithfulness is true of us. It goes on to say this. Do not plan evil against your neighbor. 
who dwells trustingly beside you. Here's the principle, never manipulate. We should never be manipulative. Never, ever, ever, ever should followers of Christ be manipulators. Our motives should be pure. We should do good because we desire good for both them and for us. Not because we're just trying to get good. Should never be true of us. We should not be manipulators. And we live in a very manipulative world. We live in a world where you're taught, man, if you'll manipulate this and you'll manipulate that, you'll find success. What scripture tells you, if you'll be steadfast, you'll find success. If you'll be faithful, you'll know favor. It goes on to say this, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. This word contend means to, find, to look for fault. Do not be a person who looks to find fault in others. Don't try to create fault with others. Here's the principle. Stop finding fault. Stop it. Man, does our world need to hear this truth? Stop trying to find fault in everybody. Stop trying to find fault in every politician, in every boss, in every employee. Quit trying to find fault in your spouse. Quit trying to find fault in your children. Quit trying to find fault in your parents. I'm not saying that there's not fault. There's offense. People wrong us. But quit trying to create it. You're exhausting yourself emotionally and mentally trying to find fault with others. Give it a rest. And find the peace of the Lord in your life. There's enough wrong in the world for us. We, we need to stop creating wrong that doesn't exist. You gotta stop finding fault. Man, you will be so much healthier. I'm gonna tell you this. We can find fault in everybody. There's not a person out there I couldn't go find fault with right now if I wanted to, other than my Savior Jesus. Man, if you want to have healthy relationships, you've got to stop contending. I'm trying to find fault with everybody. It goes on. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. By the way, that's a strong word. I don't know if you know that, but you do not want to be an abomination to the Lord. Like that is, you don't want to be described as an abomination to the Lord. The devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. Distinctly live differently. Intentionally live with integrity. Never be devious. Don't talk about somebody behind their back to win, to win favor with other people. Don't deceive anybody so you can look better with that person. Do not be devious. These are the things that are never true of those who are steadfast in love and faithful. But will you acknowledge God in all your ways? You know what some of you need to do today to acknowledge God in all your ways? You need to go to some people that you've been being devious towards or you've been finding fault in and you need to say, hey, will you forgive me for I have wronged you? That's what you need to do today. Before you worship again, 
You need to leave that sacrifice before you go to the altar and you need to go and be made right with your brother and sister in Christ. Man, if we would just honor these things, if we would learn the beauty of what it means to be steadfast and faithful instead of just trying to be successful and favored. Be steadfast and faithful and you will know the success and favor that is the gift of the Lord. But here's how I want to end today. I want, us to, I want you to make sure you know this. As we are not to contend and find fault in others, 